the Overcoming Diversity Podcast, where it's all about a transformation of growth and having a resilient mindset. I'm your host, Michael Allison. Today we have on the show as a guest of mine, Miss Diamond Drip. She's here to talk about her career and some of the things that she's been through in her in her life. And I can't wait for us to hop into this conversation. Make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. But let's hop into the show. Ms. Diamond Drip, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Hi. What's up, what's up? So you're from the DMV. I told you I used to live in DMV and uh, there's so much that I love. Um, I know more particularly you're from Maryland, but I love when I was there working, you know, there was so much um, tradition and heritage uh, in regards to just understanding the culture of what Maryland, DC and Virginia had um, for many people that live there. If you can tell me a little bit about your brand, what you stand for, and just a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, um, thank you. So I grew up in DC and what comes with that typically, cause DC is a city, cause it's expensive. Um, my mom and I bounced back and forth from Maryland into DC. So while I do claim the DMV, I never actually lived in Virginia and based on the way Virginia votes, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I am a business resilience coach and I have pretty much made it my mission to help other people change their challenges and their resistance, which I use interchangeably with the word fear and use that as motivation and as fuel to be better and to do better things. Um, and yeah, I get to do that every day. Just push the needle forward. Most, most definitely. You know, I think in these days and these times, we're having some troubling issues and things like that. So I think it's quite essential for what you're doing right now, because there's so many people that need your help. Can you tell me a little bit about like, how does your program, how does your service help business owners or just um, personal people that are looking for the types of services that you're offering? Yeah. Um, so the three main categories of people that I work with are entrepreneurs, coaches, and sales professionals. So what you can think of when you think sales professionals are like MLM, Legal Shield, um, doTERRA, things like that. And so what I do with the clients that I work with is I help them to cultivate the skill of public speaking so that they can create their own stage, whether that's online or in person. Um, but really creating your own stage with your business mission and your personal values at the forefront, because those are the things that are going to get people to know, like, and trust you enough to do business with you. Now, obviously, once you do this enough, you'll gain some visibility for your business and you're going to have leads and you're going to have clients and there's going to be a need for systems and structures to be in place. And so that's the second part that I help my clients with, which is implementing things like Calendly, things like uh, Kajabi, which is one of my favorites for saving time <laughs> and money. <laughs> um, but yeah, and implement the systems that are right for them in their business so that they too can save time, money and energy. So sounds like you have a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of experience, but I know that had to be sparked from somewhere. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about 
your passion that drove you to, that leading to your direction of helping people now what was it like for you growing up in regards to being in um, the dmv area so for me um growing up in the dmv area my mom um it's mixed feelings whether or not she did the right thing or not um but being in the part of dc that i was in predominantly which is where my grandparents resided was northeast and um, H Street Northeast, if you drive through it today, is very nice. We have a, one of those streetcars. Everything's like new and shiny, but it wasn't always that way. And so my mom knew that in order to give me the best chance that she could, um, we did that thing where you don't tell people where you really live necessarily mm -hmm. and you get into the school that's better. Right. So we did that um, to basically give me the best chance and it did honestly I can honestly say even though it kind of sucked not being able to have like childhood friends from elementary school because I think I went to probably four or five elementary schools I stayed consistent in one in one middle school and that was literally only because my play cousins were there and they were doing that thing where each year they added on a year so mm -hmm. I started sixth grade there. I mean, no, I started seventh grade there because when I went to middle school, middle school was seventh and eighth grade, which apparently is not the case. Mm -hmm. Sixth grade is like debatable whether that's middle school. I'm like, that's definitely, a anyway. <laughs> so I went to one middle school and then in high school, I went to three high schools. So that whole thing where people have friends for years in high school, sweetheart, like that wasn't me. And so one of the things that ended up happening was it caused me to be able to adapt quickly, which was great, um, but it was lonely. And it was one of those things where eventually I was removed from my mom's care um, due to child abuse and neglect. And it became hard to like, figure out what mattered to me, I guess, in a way. And so the only thing that I knew was what, you know, kind of society says, you get good grades, you go to college, you get the college degree, which gives you the job, which then gives you the money to do what you want. And so right. I was like, well, if that's the plan, all right. So um, <laughs> when I was in the system, um, my, they ended up finding my dad. I hadn't had contact with him since I was like three years old. They ended mm -hmm. up finding him. And um, that was when I kind of had like more stability versus like my mom. Right. And so that's when I learned like straight A's get you pizza parties every quarter and <laughs> get recognition for kind of being smart. So I'm like, okay, well, this is it. I did that for a minute, went into the military after high school because I was like, um, at that point, me and my dad, we weren't on good terms. And I was like, well, the plan is still the same. Get good grades, college, get a good job. So I was like, well, college is expensive and I'm a kid. So military went into the Air Force <laughs> and it was there that it really showed me that some of the like wounds, I guess, from my mom um, even though she was removed from the situation, I still had them, even though I chose to think that I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and it was in the military that actually showed me that I did. And um, and I ended up not fulfilling my full first term because of 
thoughts of suicide and depression and um, things that they don't like you to have, like, you know, going in, like if, if it happens while you're in, then, then they'll take care of it. But like going in, they'd prefer you to be good. So um, as you mentioned, when we were talking a little bit before the show, like transition is hard, <laughs> like coming back to civilian life. And it was a really dark time for me, so much so that I remember months, really, um, where I would just be, like, laying in bed, just, like, watching whatever it was, because movies put you in that container of, like, being able to follow a storyline that's not right, yours right, right. and get you out of your head. Um, and one of the movies that I watched was Pain and Gain with um, Damon Damon Williams, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, and John Cena or somebody. And they worked at a gym. And the very first, like, five minutes was them talking about, like, I get to work at a gym. I wear sweatpants to work. I get to motivate people and tell them they're doing great, even if they're not. I'm like, <laughs> that seems like a good job to get me out of the house. I still get to wear sweatpants. Seems like a good fit. So um, I ended up working uh, as a front desk uh, person and um, my brain just, it makes plans. I'm a, I'm a natural planner. I call myself a recovering perfectionist and I couldn't help. But, you know, once I was there, I'm like, there's room for movement here. Like people are leaving and not doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. That's never been my problem. So it's usually served me well. Um, So from there, I climbed, like, I guess my first and only, really, corporate ladder, um, which was going from front desk to, um, was it senior front desk manager to customer service manager to general manager. And when the company that I was, I mean, when the location that I was at closed, because they lost their lease, it put me in this, like, scarcity mode again which I like hadn't been in for Mm -hmm. a very long time and by this point I had a two-year-old and I had just signed a 12-month lease for Mm. ever like official appointment apartment where I like had to give social and things like that like it wasn't just me subleasing so right 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 right. (laughs) so um from there I was on unemployment because I qualified but unemployment with a two-bedroom apartment in Maryland and a two-year-old is not gonna it's not gonna do very much right right right, right. absolutely <laughs> so um right. I think that that quick money thing of like Grubhub, Uber, Lyft and things like that and I was like I still gotta worry about taxes <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is for me <laughs> so I was like so if I'm gonna have to do a bunch of work anyway I'm still going to have to worry about taxes. What kind of business can I start? And that was when I started my first business. Um, That was four years ago. And so since that time, I've grown and evolved as a person. And during that time, I started my second business, which is my current business, Diamond Drip Consulting. And when I came to a point where throughout all of this, my mental health was very much something that bothered me I just right it wasn't a part of the plan like it's not part of the plan to lay in bed and be depressed and like no it's part of the plan to do the things to make you successful I would do the things that I would need it to for my business for both businesses through this time and 
it really started to take a toll, like not being able to take a day off, not being able to spend quality time with my family because I'm always looking at my phone because at this point, like I'm doing a bunch of stuff. Like I got and I got to look at my phone if I want to stay ahead or in the exactly. So self-care got neglected. A hundred percent. Cut to August of 2022, last year. I found a clinical trial that was specific to my mental illness, which is bipolar two. Um, many people don't know the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two. Um, many people think when say when they say phrases, even though it's usually sometimes wrong, but like, oh, that's so bipolar, and it's like someone doing something crazy, or like, ah, oh, you you know, hot and cold. Like that's usually what people think of is that bipolar one symptom of like the mania. But bipolar two is kind of like it's like second cousin. <laughs> no one really talks about. They're just kind of there at the function, um, and we don't have these like high, you know, mania energy things. Like our like longest and deepest is like in the depressive phase. Like if mm. you had a cycle, like people with high with mania, bipolar one, like they're hypo, and then ours is kind of like. But then when it dips, it's like people with bipolar one, it's like, okay. And we're back to, you know, being on 10. But like people with bipolar two, it's like, no. Mm. <laughs> like all the way down. I never knew that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, didn't, I never knew that. That's really the biggest difference. Um, and so I found a clinical trial that was testing the efficacy of psilocybin, which is the active component in magic mushrooms, mm. for my exact diagnosis. Because for a long time, um, people were like worried, well, people, scientists, were worried that if you gave someone with bipolar anything, psilocybin, that the euphoria and the activation of the serotonin receptors would make them like trigger, trigger mania, essentially. And so okay. this experiment was like, okay, well, we won't test bipolar one people because maybe you might have a point. But bipolar two people who could really benefit from the the work that we're seeing, like in terms of healing with PTSD and depression yeah. and things like that, you know, they said, let's give it a go. And so I was like one of the last participants to get into the study, which that just thank you, universe. Thank you, timing. Because um, even though I had suffered with like symptoms of my diagnosis of like suicidal thoughts, suicide attempts, um, running away, just to try and get away from it all. Like I was in denial for 10 years. I literally for 10 years when I do the math, like I would say things like, I know in my file, it says bipolar two, but really I'm just depressed. And <laughs> it took me so long to, to accept like, no, this irritability thing that they talk about with bipolar. Yeah, no, that's a thing for you. Like right. racing thoughts when yeah, I, we, we mask, we mask a lot of words with different words over certain things <laughs> and put layers on them when they're really, it is what it is. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. <laughs> like I know what it says, but also, and so right around the time that I was accepting my official diagnosis was around the time that I found this clinical trial and it was a 15 week trial. Um, most of that was qualifying for it because um, also part of the story, 
I smoke cannabis to help me sleep at night because otherwise my brain will keep me up. And so a part of the trial in qualifying for it is you don't you're not on anything mind altering. So no antidepressants, no cannabis, no anything that's going to like make your brain do weird things, especially right. other things. So um, that was the longest period because the actual uh, like part dealing with mushrooms the most is only three days. It was like kind of referred to as like the big three all throughout the trial. Like you go in the day before you get drug tested to make sure that you're not on anything. You go in the day of and that's kind of like a whole day event. And then right. you go in the day after so that you can talk with the therapist and process and start integrating some of these things. And then for like a few weeks after um, you talk with them every now and then, you know, continual integration. And that trial I attribute as having cured my depression. Like you can use whatever word healed. I like to sounds like it sounds like you had a breakthrough. Yeah, I did. I gained self-compassion and mm -hmm. self-forgiveness and self-grace. And those are all things that really helped me in my business. I learned things and made connections. Um, like it's always been my mission to like as a parent not be my mom. And in many ways, I thought that I was succeeding in that. And I was, right? I'm not abusing my kid. I'm not neglecting my kid. Right. Um, but um, the work-life balance thing, like that same want of like having my mom there playing with me, interacting with me was something that my daughter, like while I wasn't abusing her, I'm, I'm literally the opposite. I'm like giving you everything so that I can like work and, you know, hit goals and, in the in the in the trip, one of my breakthroughs was that connection of like, she's still kind of like the same way you were calling out for someone to play with you. Right. Like she's doing that. It's different circumstances, right. but she's, she's you right now still. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like things like that, it made me realize and think about like what matters to me right now. Like, yeah, I haven't like being able to say I'm a student and a mom and I run two businesses is great. But if the flip side of that is having breakdowns every other, you know, like, am I really successful at that point? Right, um, you're not being truly efficient and, and effective as well, too. So um, it was it was these these insights and this self-compassion and self-grace. Um, and then later, um, as recently as March, I found a mentor that helped me actually tie all of this together it was it was those insights that was like okay I think I need to step away from my first business because if I think about it it was really started as necessity I lost my job it served its purpose I gained the confidence that I needed to through school and getting my degree to have the the wherewithal in terms of visual communications and digital strategy so you can Right, you can kind of let it go. I know it's hard, right? It was your baby. It was your baby. Friend, also, this. What do you want to be doing with your life? And what I want is to be able to literally open up Zoom, not even on a computer all the time, because I've done a few Zoom calls on my phone, <laughs> and just with the knowledge and the insights and the the gifts that I'm able to give through strategy and through like just mindset, really, because that's one of the areas that I specialize in just help people. Mm -hmm. And while I could help anyone, um, I say things like business is my jam. 
because it took me four years of putting together pieces of things and finally seeing like, oh, like now that I have a mentor after four years of not having one, seeing like the extra steps of the things that I was doing, like, but I just didn't know about the extra steps. It was like, ah, if I just could have kept doing that for longer, if I just had somebody telling me, don't give up on that for longer, like, that, that's that's the key to mentorship. You know, they give you the clear blueprint, you know, and um, I, uh, I I slacked on that several years ago. But um, that has been one of the like the biggest key or transition for myself once I decided to like uh, implement those things into my life and my pro professional development and personal development. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, right. I do know. <laughs> hey, I want to I want to unpack a couple of things because you, you shared a great bit about some of the things that you've experienced, your transition. And I think some of our listeners want to like extract some of those and see if some of those things you talked about could help them make an impact in their lives. So I want to talk a little bit about you've experienced trauma through your mom and then you uh, was put into the system, if I'm not mistaken, what you said. Yeah. And then um, you eventually um, connected with your dad but that relationship became strained at some particular point. Being in that situation and that scenario and going through that, can you impart to our listeners if if they if they if they're a kid or if they have a kid, can you talk about what that was like in regards to what you was feeling like? You don't necessarily have to talk about what the some of the things that took place, but what that was like, I guess, a little bit and some of the things that you think about now. That could help um, help with some people that's listening, like decision making process and how to get through some of those um, trauma type of feelings as well. Yeah, um, 100 percent. So one of the things that I experienced just having gone through those periods of time in my life was. When I like bird's eye view, hindsight is always right, right. 2020. Um, it was like a lack of control, really. Um, and what I mean by that is, and I was literally just talking about this the other day. So when I went into the system, I didn't know that I was going into the system. What ended up happening was I just kind of, one weekend, things just kind of like festered over and I was, and she hit me and it left marks. And wow. so normally she doesn't leave a mark. And so I was like, okay, I want to go to my guidance counselor because these are the people that they tell us to go to when we're mm -hmm. in need. And I want to tell her what happened this weekend because I feel like this shouldn't have happened, but like mm -hmm. maybe I should get a third party opinion mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. And so it was in doing that, that raised red flags, which then when they tried to rope my mom in, I don't know if, you know, it was whatever she was dealing with at the time, mental health wise, but she just like, you know, the, the phrase like fight or flight, like she just like, flew essentially she was like what this is crazy like too much pressure and so in addition to feelings of abandonment I also felt a loss of control because essentially what happens in those situations is like you're kind of like in limbo for like four or five hours depending on when you say something mm -hmm. and you're waiting for your parent to like you know be a parent and like come and like have conversations but when they don't answer the phone they kind of have to find a 
somewhere to put you. Mm-hmm. And so like I had heard about group homes. I never imagined myself being in one, even if just for a night until we figure out things the next day. But I didn't have a choice because at the time I was 14, 15 mm-hmm. and I was a minor and my mom wasn't answering the phone. So and so in those situations, like it puts you in like this feeling of like survival and this like lack of control because you're mm-hmm. just like, okay, well, we're here now. You can't go back and not say anything because, and then, you know, before I knew it, I had a, a lawyer who's like fighting for my rights. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is, I'm just, you know, trying to go to trigonometry here. <laughs> so yeah. But the thing that I can say in those moments was like, I had a plan. I had a goal that I was trying to accomplish. And I know in situations like that, it can be hard. And I don't know, I guess I think Disney. I watched a lot of Disney growing up. There's something about magic and hope that, you know, at the end of things, it'll be okay. You will, you know, find your Prince Charming and all of the things, right? It's just, it's hard right now. And so um, it was, I guess, a little bit of that that kept me going and like trying to figure out a way to make things work. Um, And then when my daughter was born, it did get easier. simply because I had watched a few movies like in ter- I when I say it got easier in terms of like thinking about suicide and thinking about like taking myself out of the situation because I had seen like lots of movies where it was like the kid later in life maybe they were a stripper maybe they had problems with drugs and in some of those movies they would talk about how their mom or dad killed themselves as a child. And they, and that brought up like feelings of like, was I not good enough? And I, I knew like as a parent, like I never wanted to do that to my Mm -hmm. kid. Like whatever I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with it. I don't want you to feel like, you know, if you gave me more hugs, like maybe I would still be here somehow. Right. Um, and so it was kind of like, like that fight, that this plan of like hope and like it's all going to work out. And then when she was born, it was like, well, taking yourself like and that's when I learned through the trials. Through the trials, when I learned about passive suicidal thoughts, because a lot of my attempts were active, like I tried to take pills, I tried to hang myself, I tried, whatever it was. But passive suicidal thoughts is something like if I got into a car accident today it wouldn't be so bad if I died. My family would get the insurance money and they're better off with that than they are with me anyway. Like these are passive suicidal thoughts. And so I was starting to have those. And, you know, you don't have control over what happens to you. So when they didn't happen, you know, you just keep going with the plan. But for me, one of the things that the trial did was it helped me recognize a lot of the things that I was dealing with as fear. Like Mm. it helped me, and even now I use the words fear and resistance interchangeably Um, because I I really do like, I have, I do, (laughs) I do talks every month where I talk about this in more depth than what I am now. But essentially like 
this idea of fear and resistance, like we can use this resistance as a compass because usually the things that we have the most resistance and the most fear to, on the other side of it is greatness. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> when I was a of fear, if you go through it, it actually um, gives you so much lessons that, that you did not even think you were so much qualified for on the opposite side of fear. Yeah, yeah. So feeling the fear and doing it anyway just became kind of a thing that I say that I believe. And whenever I feel it, I practice what I preach. I'm like, hey, feel the fear and do it anyway. You know what Absolutely. you say? Because then the other <laughs> is comfort and growth can't coexist because they can't. That's a fact. <laughs> so this is going to be heavy because I'm someone that um been through suicide attempt. And yeah. for you to share that, you know, obviously I, I could hear it from you that um, you had to go through a lot to get past that. And to deal with that has to be like tremendously, tremendously, tremendously impactful as like just saying it, you know, some of those things like replaying your head, replaying your mind and things like that, what it was like in those moments. So what are some things that you could share if someone is listening right now that could be thinking of that, have that thought? How could you encourage somebody, empower someone that may be in a down situation, feeling like it's the end of the road and they're at their breaking point right now? Because you've been there. What are some encouraging things that you could say that could help empower someone that's listening that could be thinking of suicide? So I love this question. And for me, this is where my logical brain kicked in a lot of the time. So what I'm about to say is going to be logical because um, it helped me. So if you're logical and you're having that experience, um, this, hopefully this will help you. So what I'll say to that is after a certain amount of suicide attempts not working, um, just one, because, you know, it wasn't enough pills or you chickened out at the last minute as you were about to step off of something like whatever it is. You get to a place where like people say stuff like. Poop or get off the pot, really, like you don't do it know. And so for me, that triggered something in my brain to where like I have to know 100 percent that this is going to like, there's no chance. And so for me, you know, things like, I know uh, for lack of better phrasing, a classic is like taking the shotgun to your, I don't know, under your chin or something like that. Right. When I learned that people can survive from that and that their lives are changed forever, even with hanging yourself, like you could be paralyzed for the rest of your life. And then not only are you still feeling the same feelings that you're feeling, but now you can't even do anything about it because you're paralyzed. And so for me, that was like, I don't like, I suffer with lack of control. Mm -hmm. Why would I put myself in a situation where I don't know, like you can think you know that this is gonna work, but you don't know for sure because whatever higher power, if you believe in one, like they know what's gonna happen, not you. Right. So for me, it was that logical brain of like, what if this doesn't work? 
Mm. And thinking about the situations of what my life could change and be like if it doesn't work became motivation for me because I'm like, well, you know, that if that's not going to work, how can I make this life thing work? And that's, you know, that's when it became like the plan is we got to make this life thing work. <laughs> so as I'm hearing you say, share your story, I think it's um, very uh, meaningful to understand the seriousness behind it. Right. And then you're created here to uh, have a purpose. Right. And you're looking at the outcome and the positivity of like all of these things that life has for you. And that's what it was for me as well. I know because at the time I had a son and he was a young, he was a baby and I was going through a lot of things at the time. I, mean, I told you a little bit about some child custody things and I was like busting my butt working super, super hard to like be an impact in my son's life. And To kind of like copy what you said, like Cooper, get off the pot. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, it's time to step up and take responsibility and accountability for these things in your life and not take the easy route out. And um, that spoke to me and resonated with me so much. I want to um, talk to you a little bit about serving in the military and making that decision. Um, I served and at that particular time when I served, it was going through like 9-11, um, Y2K and all those things and stuff like that. You served in the Air Force. If you can, talk a little bit about what that was like and what did the military teach you and um, instilled in you. And has being in the military, serving in the military made an impact in your life now today as an adult or even in your business as well? Yeah. Um... So for me, making the decision to go into the military, a lot of my decisions, like I say, I like, I would call them business decisions now because I'm a business coach. But like mm -hmm. at the time, I was just like, nah, this is a good course of action for me. Um, but when I made the decision to go into the military, it was kind of a business decision. It was like, okay, you guys are looking for people. I'm looking for an education. So let's see how we can make this work. <laughs> And um, I left on July 8th, and for context, my birthday is July 11th. And mm. so what that meant was I was in basic training on my birthday, mm. which meant that on my birthday, my gift from the U.S. Air Force was shots and taking my blood <laughs> without any say-so because I didn't have a choice. <laughs> um, and for me, I, like I said, I adapt well. So even though like the very first day that I woke up there, cause I got there like late at night, I had no idea what was going on. There were people who had been there since like the eighth or the ninth, cause like flights and they just kind of just knew what was going on. And I was just like, well, I got to figure out how I can act like I know what's going on. So I don't get yelled at cause I know mm -hmm. that's the thing. And so it just, it caused me to be really like strategic and I wouldn't say that it taught me discipline or like to make my bed or like any other stuff people usually like kind of joke about. Um, what it did show me was that there are two sides to every coin. So you have, you can have a whole envisionment of what your experience is going to be like, but you never know until you actually get there. 
So where you were talking about, well, it's different anyway, because you were in the Marines. But when you were talking about like that time of like 9-11, that's like years ago when mm-hmm. I went into basic training, um, they had just built what other people who didn't have such nice circumstances called Disney World. Because we had automated, you know, water filters to fill up our canteen. We had AC that didn't break. Didn't have fun. Yeah. So we we kind of got made fun of a little bit because we were in Disney World, like even the cafeteria. And so it just taught me about like perspective. It taught me really how to how to play it smart. Like, don't just do what you gotta do. Like you may not like it, because I didn't like it. No one really likes it, but you got to do what you got to do. You got to play the game. As a matter of fact, I played the game so well that Bert pooped on me, standing in formation, waiting to go. I think we were going somewhere, and I had to wait until my staff sergeant acknowledged that I existed because he was looking around so that I could ask to go change my uniform. So (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like when I hear people complain or even my six-year-old who didn't grow up the way I did complain about stuff. It's like, just, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, when you transitioned out of the military, I know for some veterans, the transition can be hard when it comes to like acclimating, finding a job, finding a house, paying bills, if you got kids, take care of kids, you know, because most most people that join a service join as a teenager. So full on responsibilities are not there until obviously you become much more of an adult. What was that like for you? Was that transition kind of hard? Was it easy? Did you get any help? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I had I had help. So the before my dad um, was found, my aunt on my mom's side took me in, in what's called kinship care. And when I got out of the military, that love didn't change, you know, especially because her late husband was in the Air Force for years. He actually served in things. And so for me, when I got home, like I didn't have to worry about, you know, where to live. I really didn't have to worry about food. I was smart with my money, so I took advantage of the fact that I didn't have to pay for a place to live or food or insurance, and I saved. <laughs> um, so I, I did have, like, as she would call it, play money um, mm-hmm. because she was helping me out with, like, the, you know, real-life expense money. Mm-hmm. Um, the hardest thing about coming back for me was, um, one, my mental health because the last two months that I was enlisted in the Air Force were spent hospitalized in a hospital. Um, so it was it was because of my struggles with thinking about suicide. So it was my mental health. And then um, I was in a long distance relationship during my time in the military. And when I came back, I learned that infidelity had happened. So I also had to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So it was hard in those ways, but Again, you know, it was, well, how do I make life work? And so even when it came to my relationship, you know, 
technically I'd never want to speak to you again ever in life, but also you're the only person that I've really been talking to for like the past year. Mm-hmm. I don't want to let this relationship go. So we tried to figure out how to make it work and all of these other things. And it just, you know, it just, for me, I was blessed in that I didn't have to worry about some of the other transition things. Like most of the things that I've had to deal with, you know, once I left the system, because then the physical things stopped, were mental, were, Mm -hmm. you know, in my brain. Wow. So... Now that you made that transition and you come back home and you have this potential scenario from um, a previous relationship that you had going on as long distance. And I, and I know that could be harder or within itself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about um, you as a mom or a single woman transitioning out of the service and now you're raising a daughter. And now you're trying to like navigate that, right? And you have all of these things from your childhood past. What are some things as a mom that you're making sure of instilling as a, to your daughter now based off your past experience and not trying to have her go through some of those same scenarios, whether it's with um, the uh, child's father or what you, you, you know and what you've experienced and things like that to now you have to like navigate through life now, like on your own, on your own terms and trying to figure that out. What was that like? Yeah. Um, For timeline clarity, I left the military in 2014. Uh, It was in 2016 that I started the job at the gym Mm -hmm. and it was two years into that job that I had my daughter. Okay. And so, said person that I was in long distance relationship with um, is her dad. Mm -hmm. And so for me, there were times where I'm not going to lie. I took a page out of my mom's playbook in that I used her as a pawn because you weren't doing what I wanted you to do. No, I don't want you here. I don't want to see you. I don't care that you want to see her. You will see her another time. And that was very much like personal feelings for me. It had nothing to do with her. And when I started having this realization more and more that when I do things like that, I am being like my mom, even though I'm not hitting her or I'm not yelling at her, I'm still hurting her in some way. And so when that became clear to me, I started to seek out ways to, well, not be her. So she didn't like to, well, she liked to rely on support when it was convenient for her and things worked in her way. But the minute that changed, then you are a problem. You cannot see my kid anymore. And so she dwindled her support system in doing that. Mm-hmm throughout the course of me growing up. And one of the things that I knew that I was gonna have to do to not be like her was to rely on my support system. And I am so thankful that I did because my aunt and now her dad and her Nana on dad's side, 
they're a part of the system that keeps me being mm-hmm. able to be in Zoom calls all day and not have to worry about is Taylor going to get home? Right. So just in various ways of like looking at, well, to lack of better phrasing, her parenting techniques and just figuring out how I could be different actually helped one, her, but also the relationship that I have with her dad. We still have our trust issues, rightfully so. But it's the how to make life work thing and how can I be better for Taylor than I was that caused us to have a relationship to where now we can really kind of talk about anything. Mm-hmm. We don't. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So it's it's nice. I think that answered the question. That's it. <laughs> so this is uh, one of the questions that I love to ask people when they come on the show. So. You're a woman that has been through some childhood trauma and some things as an, uh, as a young adult as well. But at some particular point in your life, you had a breakthrough, you had a transition and life started going in the direction and the destination of where you wanted it to be at. Can you tell us what was that pivotal moment for you where, okay, all right, I've been through all these things in my life and I, I no longer like it. I don't want to be in this space no more, that sort of thing. And this is where I want to be. Can you tell us about what was that pivotal moment in your life where you said enough is enough and this is where I'm going? And then if you can, lend towards that. Um, who helped you, if anybody, or what things did you implement to get to where you want in regards to like mentors, accountability partners, mentorships, or you know what I mean? Those types of things, if you can talk a little bit about that. You packed the, you did that thing I do where I ask like six questions in one question and I'm like, okay, here we go. Attempting to answer your beautiful question. (laughs) (laughs) So if there was a moment, so from the outside world, if you don't know my mental health or any of the things that I struggle with, it kind of just looked like I switched path to path to path. Like every time I switch. Mm-hmm. I moved up, I went up, I, like I was successful. But for me, that moment didn't come during any of the like climbs or like any of that. It really was a testament of the trial that I participated in that it was like a it was like a week of like a couple of things that happened. Like it wasn't any just one thing, even though the first moment that I'm about to recall on, I would pick. But essentially, for so long, it had felt like a dark cloud. Part of the qualification to get into the trial is you have to have had like at least two months, like there wasn't a period in your life where you didn't experience depression for two months. So like three weeks, something happens. Two weeks, something happens. But there was never a consistent period of time for two months where I was not depressed. And so when you have that kind of cloud, when it lifts, it's like noticeable. Mm-hmm. And so I had noticed like the lightness of it, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until like it was a Tuesday. Um, so me and her dad, he's injured right now. So less accountability partner right now, but we're at, we actually work out together. We've worked, I worked at a gym for three years and didn't work out as consistently as we have for the past two. 
<laughs> we know Tuesdays and Thursdays, sometimes Wednesdays, we're strength training and cardio. And so I had worked out and you know, when you work out, you get endorphins. Right. I love water therapy, I guess. Showers, like if I'm feeling like icky, I take a shower and, and I normally feel better. And so I worked out, I had a shower. It was, you know, summertime still. It was like September, about to be fall. And I was on my way to pick Taylor up from school, which when I pick Taylor up from school, I get there so early that I don't have to deal with the parent nonsense. Like I literally get to her school an hour and a half before so I can park on the staff side and just walk over. But no one can say, you know, how long I've been there on the staff right. side because no one's watching the cameras that early. So I get there early and I, you know, can do some work and then I just walk and go get her. And so even with that, like the ease of that, just that whole transition, like I remember thinking it was suck to die today. Mm. Like as I'm driving and how I would have those normal passive suicidal thoughts if this car ran into me because people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I died somehow. <laughs> like it would really suck to die today. I have so much that I want to do. Like I have to change my bit, like, cause this was when I was figuring out what the things that matter to me. Like I have to change my business around. I have to create work-life balance. Like I have to figure out how this can work. And I just reveled in that thought for a moment. Cause I'm like, wow, when was the last time you ever thought it would suck to die today? Wow. Especially since getting life insurance. <laughs> what? <laughs> And the second moment that I'll, I'll just really quickly touch on, I don't remember what happened, but um, for a time after the trial, I would listen to music in the shower. And mm. I normally listen to like tropical house beats and things <laughs> like that without words. Um, very chill, very lo-fi. And this really kind of upbeat, like lo-fi song came on. And oh my gosh, I danced in the shower for the first time in my life. I was like, who are you? Dancing in the shower like a happy person? What? <laughs> um, oh my gosh. But now that's a beautiful thing, man. That's a beautiful thing. Um, and just in reveling in that moment, I I feel like there's like two other questions that I didn't answer. No, so I'll, I'll follow up with you. So once once you had that pivotal moment, I love that part. If you can tell me, man, if uh, who impacted your life? Did you have a mentors, accountability oh. partners, or anybody like that that helped you along your journey? Um, therapists. I had therapists along the way. That's like I didn't invest in a mentor or an accountability partner all throughout since. When I went to the, when I had my first hospitalization, they make you go to therapy. Well, highly recommend that you go to therapy after. Mm -hmm. And it was, I'd, I'd never been in therapy. So that was my first instance. And it was like, oh, this is nice. And so as I began to like grow up, and especially when I was in the system, and later while being in the system, I was sexually assaulted and I had to deal with therapy of that. Wow. Like, it showed me just how much relying on someone in that way. And it, and it was just like this clean thing. Like it's, it was different than a friend or like a family member. Like 
with them, you kind of have to have your walls up because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. You don't right. want to say the wrong thing. If you're beefing with them, you're not going to talk to them about why you're beefing with them. Like, <laughs> But with therapy, it's like, no, I pay you money to help me with my problems. Like, You literally have to sit here and listen to me and give me <laughs> advice. So do that with all of your fancy degrees. And I guess that's the the closest <laughs> that I I got to it until March, where I where I hired my first mentor, and that was in business. That I won't say that had nothing to do with mindset because when you're an entrepreneur, when you do personal work, like the better you show up in your business. But that was really you know the first time mentorship mm-hmm. as a thing was a thing. Okay, that's amazing. And I, I love the fact that you chose to seek out and I, and I 100% agree with you. Whenever you seek to better yourself, you do show up better for your family, for your business, for your friends, for your kids, you name it. So now you're a businesswoman and now you're helping people and more than qualified. You've got the experiences in regards to like sharing all of these things that you've been through that you can help navigate people and help them with their problems. Tell us a little bit about your business and what you're doing to help people based off the experiences that you've been through yourself. For sure. So for me, one of the things that I say is that I specialize in mindset and I'm pretty sure in two months when we talk again, that's going to change because I'll probably find a better way to say that. Um, but I like to say things like I, that I, stru- I specialize in mindset because really the three things that I work with people on, which are mindset, accountability, and connection building, otherwise known as sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. These three things are interdependent upon one another. And if I had my virtual background up, you would see that I have mindset as like the foundation and it's the biggest because without that, you're not going to be able to show up consistently and do the things you need to, to grow in your business. And if you're not doing those things, then you're not getting visible online. You're not getting visible in your community. You're not building those connections that are going to help you be profitable and be able to give back and have that work-life balance that we think about when we think about entrepreneurship mm-hmm. without actually being. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. So being someone that's working with entrepreneurs and you're trying to help propel their business, help them propel, propel their mindset and uh, gain that level of connection. What are some uh, strategies that you could share with some of our listeners that could help them with their businesses? So, I feel like I kind of, you said strategies. Can I give mantras? That's fine. That's okay. Fine. Yeah. I kind of um, teased at them, but <laughs> one of the things my mentor says is tell them what you're going to teach them. You teach them and then you tell them what you told them. And so <laughs> this is like the recap of that, I guess. So the first thing is to feel the fear and do it anyway, because clarity comes from taking action. It's when we feel the cortisol levels rising and the heart quickening and the anxiety and the what if brain, as I like to call it, 
what if brain because it's what if this happens or this happened before what if it happens again like we're Mm -hmm. living in the past or the present i mean we're living in the past or the future we're not being in the present and when we're living in the present of what is what is an example in my program what is what it is is a mentor is in front of you telling you the proven systems and strategies that are going to work to get you visible and magnetize the clients who are working who are waiting for you like that's what it is you're thinking about like, well, I tried that masterclass that one time, or I saw this one YouTube video that says something. And I think that that would probably work. Like, no, what you have is someone telling you what's going to work. Don't live in the what if. So feel the fear and do it anyway, because clarity comes from taking action. It's when we take those um as we sometimes call them imperfect actions, because if you're like me, you're a recovering perfectionist. And so I have, you know, especially with graphic designs, like I have things that I'm like, it has to be just so. And even with that, I've started to say things like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be effective. And so with that, uh, the last one that I kind of teased at that I'm gonna like drop on, I guess, (laughs) 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 is that comfort and growth can't coexist at the same time. I mean, well, obviously that's what coexist means, but comfort and growth can't coexist. When you are feeling this fear, this resistance, when you're in your head thinking, what if, and all of that stuff, like typically once you do the things, especially if you talk about it with a trusted advisor and you get Mm. like the go ahead and the Mm. recommitment is like there, like success is on the other side of that. Greatness is on the other side of that. So comfort and growth can't coexist. You have to be willing to get a little uncomfortable if you wanna be able to grow and and evolve. So Ms. Diamond Drip, before we get out of here, I just wanna tell you first and foremost, thank you so much for being on the platform, sharing your story, sharing your expertise as a trusted advisor with your business. If anybody wanted to uh, work with you, book a consultation with you or anything like that, or if you have anything to offer, um, how can they get a hold of you? Of course. So anything social wise that you want to connect with me on, you can find me at Diamond Drip. Sometimes Diamond Drip's discussions, but just Diamond Drip will do. My main website where you can find all of my links, including the one that gets you a free one hour strategy session is diamonddripconsulting.com. Well, thank you so much for joining me and being here on the guest. Before we get out of here, is there any last words that you want to leave with our audience? Hmm. Yeah, I'll leave with one more quote. Actually, it's here in front of me. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs are people who have come alive. Howard Thurman. Powerful. Well, Simon, thank you so much for joining me and being here, being totally transparent and vulnerable and sharing your story. It was truly inspiring for me, um, uh, made an impact in my life. You know, um, I obviously we spoke off of the camera prior to and getting on here, but just to hear much more about your story and what you've been through and how you overcome that, I'm truly inspired and just thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Until next time, guys, uh, we'll drop episodes weekly. Make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Peace and we out of here. Can't complain at all.
Couple dollars in my pocket, no income and go Been working on my body, getting healthier Thank God for clarity